Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Goins from the Reimagine Schools podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and this is part three of my four-part series with David Mileto. Today, we're focused on life from late 60s, like 67 to the early 70s. And by the way, as a note, David just published his ebook on Apple Books. It's called Images of an Idea Lost. It's available for $2.99. It's the true story of Lyndon David's 25-year relationship. And you get introduced to the beginning of this relationship today. Glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share. And by the way, at the very end of today's episode, you'll hear David talk about the type of help that he needs to finish his latest work of art. Maybe you can help him. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with David Mileto and we're finishing up our, our story as, as we talk with someone who is uh, living through uh, the late 50s into... Uh, into the mid sixties and uh, we're recollecting many different uh, everything from pop culture to uh, different things that happened in his life and uh, during that time frame. And so what I'd like to do now is uh, say hi to David. Hey David, how you doing today? Good, Steve, you? I'm doing well. Thank you. The uh, we've got, uh, so we're ready to get started. And what I want to do today is we're going to, and, and by the way, before I forget at the very end, we're going to talk, again, about this, uh, about uh, David has this awesome artwork piece that he's working on that he's looking for some assistance with uh, um, trying to figure out how to bring it to life. And so you'll hear more about that when we come to the end. But uh, David, what I'd like to do is just kind of say this. Uh, we kind of, where we left off last time, we finished with you graduating from high school in the, in the late 60s. And uh, so what happened in the summer of 67? And let's kind of run from there. Okay. Um, I guess I should start with... <laughs> Um, I guess a few, uh, 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 some, a few footnotes. Um, so you're coming out of the 50s, which according to my sister was actually a rather oppressive time. It wasn't the TV show Happy Days or the movie Grease. That's kind of baloney. Um, and that might be a reason what gave way to what is about to take place. Um, in the summer of 67, after I graduated from high school, I went to Rome for two weeks. Uh, when I came back, I went and registered for the draft. Um, after that, um, a friend of ours, uh, who I went to high school with, he was a year older than us. His name uh, had gone, uh, had joined the Marines. And he was a wonderful guy. And it was interesting how he was, he was sort of the kind of guy you didn't want to get in trouble with. Um, when we saw him after basic training, it was like he had been transformed into this completely different person. Um, the good part of him was still there. The garbage was gone. 
And there was a calmness about him. There was a presence about him, just the way he stood, that it was like, you don't want to mess with this guy. Um, and there was another buddy of mine. Um, his brother had gotten, wanted to fly jets. And at the time, there was a law that said if um, you had any kind of traffic violations or whatever, you had to take care of that before you could join the military. And because of that, he couldn't join, and he ended up, there was, a, there was a call, and he got drafted into the Marines, and he ended up in a DMZ zone in 1967. When he came back, he and his brother were as close as two brothers could be until he returned. Um, when, when he came back, there was this huge split, and there was nothing the younger guy, there was nothing Joe could do. Um, his brother looked at him and he said, if you ever join the Marines, I'm going to kill you. That, that was his hello. Um, so as the summer goes on in August, I leave and go to school in Dallas, Texas, which was interesting for me. Um, I was walking into a whole new culture, um, which I found fascinating. Um, what I think was Interesting was I think they had a harder time accepting me than me them. Um, I am a pretty outgoing big mouth kind of guy. Um, as one guy said to me one day when a girl asked me a question, he said, Mileto, don't you have any tact? And I said, well, she asked for my opinion. And I <laughs> gave her my opinion. If you don't want my opinion, don't ask. And for me, what gets interesting is the classroom is gonna is gonna isn't gonna be as important as the city of Dallas and the surrounding area. Um, I, it 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 was it was interesting to me looking back at that. I there I think I'd mentioned earlier that there was the TV show Route sixty six that I liked a lot as a as a kid. I would end up doing that. Um, only instead of in a Corvette, we did it in a GTO and later on in a Cuda. Um, and drove from as far north as St. Paul, Minnesota, as far south as Austin, Texas, as far east as uh, Panama City. Um, and I, west, I only got to Fort Worth by car. I, I, got, I, I was in Vegas, but we uh, flew there. Um, and it was interesting sort of seeing the way things evolved. Because the, the late 60s, and uh, again, a footnote, the 60s were more like from 66 to 69, and that's it. Um, the, the thing of hippies was a West Coast thing. It lasted for that summer, and that was it. The, 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 the term stayed because the media fell in love with it. School at, at the, at, in Dallas was, was interesting. Um, in that, uh, an example, I had an English teacher who, <laughs> she and I had trouble. Um, there was a poem that we had to read by T.S. Eliot called The Wasteland, if you all are familiar with it. Um, and we had to do paper on it. And the paper had to have 15 sources. And when I read it, I and I went back and read it a second time. I went back and read it a third time because I kept hearing something within it. And I went to her and said, and asked, I said, so if I come up with an idea 
that I can't find in the library. Do I have to have 15 sources? And she said, well, no, but let me, you know, come back to me and, and, and let me know what it is you want to write about, which I did. And the idea was is that you could read the, way, the wasteland from front to back or from back to front, that it seemed to work no matter, how, it, no matter which direction you read it in. And she wasn't objecting so far, and I, I didn't use 15 resources. I don't remember how many I used. Um, and when it came time to turn it in and I came time to get a grade, she gave me a D and the reason being was I didn't have enough resources. <laughs> and I went, this is, school's going to get a little more interesting here than I thought. Um, and it was interesting that a year later I knew two girls who were, who had her for English. And they told me that when she was talking to them about the wasteland, she actually took my <laughs> my idea um, and talk to them about that. And I went, well, what are you gonna do? So what is also going on within the landscape of the day is the music of that era became almost literally part of the environment. Um, it wasn't something that you just, to use today's technology that you stuck in an, in an iPhone or something and, and put the earplugs in your, in your ears and it, it was just sort of taken up space. Um, there, it, it had a much deeper uh, play to it that was going on. And when you look at the music that came out in 67, when you look at those albums that came out in 67 and continued for about the next four years, um, probably like till 72 or so, um, it's, it's pretty amazing uh, what, what, they, what they were doing. Um, you could go to different parts of the United States and you could get completely different feels, a completely, to use the term, you could get a completely different vibe. Um, I didn't go to, I wasn't on the East Coast or the West Coast, but if you went to like a city like Madison, Wisconsin, um, with its big university, you would, you would you'd experience something much different than if you were traveling through Louisiana or Mississippi. Um, the Vietnam War was beginning to escalate as were, as were civil rights. Those, those two are, are, are really big as to what was going on. Um, so for 60, in 67 for me, is it, it's more of, of a, Calm before the storm. It was learning what it was like to be in this place called Texas, because anybody who has been there and knows or knows somebody from Texas is Texas is Texas. It's not the South. It's not the Southwest. It is its own country. It's its own culture. And, <laughs> yes. and, and I absolutely love it. Um, um, I met some of the most wonderful people in, in, in that state. Um, and so it was, it was more quiet until you get into 1968. When you get into 1968, I don't think there is any historian who would disagree with the, 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 the statement that it is without question one of the most extraordinary years in American history. And not only was it for American history, but it would become for mine. 
one of the differences between what I'm going to talk to you about now versus the other two things is right now we're going to st I'm going to start getting really personal because there's no other way I can tell this story. So bear with me. Um, in, in school, what I did and would <laughs> never be allowed to be done at that school again is when I went in to sign up for classes, I had only one, I had an English class. Everything else was studio work. I had a painting class, I had a drawing class, I had an anatomy class, I had a sculpture, I had two sculpture classes, and I had a printmaking class. Um, which, after the fact, they deeply objected to. Uh, I went through periods with the school where they literally, this is not a joke, I have somebody who would <laughs> confirm this, where they had a clean up David Mileto campaign, where I would walk from the art department back to the dorm and I looked messy. If you work, if you're chiseling on limestone or you're printing with inks, you're painting with oils, I don't know, you're gonna get a little, you're gonna get a little dirty, you're gonna get a little messy. Um, I admit there are painters who didn't. Uh, Modrian didn't, he used to paint in, in a suit. Uh, da Vinci didn't. Um, but I'm more from the Michelangelo school of, I'm gonna get messy. <laughs> nice, nice. And, 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 it, and I looked it, and so they actually, it was, they wanted me to bring a change of clothes <laughs> so that when I was walking across campus and there were people visiting the campus, they didn't see this slop. <laughs> um, nice. Trust me, I didn't do it. Uh, um, it was also interesting that my um, sculpture teacher, who was, rather interestingly enough, also served in German army in World War II, um, was... Uh, I, he and I sat down and I, I talked to him about an independent study class. And he thought that was just absolutely great because nobody really cared about the sculpture department. They cared about the ceramics, they cared about painting, printmaking, but nobody really cared about sculpture. And so we went to a quarry, I picked out a piece of limestone and he said, okay, what you need to do first, you just gotta clean this off and then come up with your drawing for what you wanna do and then bring it to me and we'll talk about it, fine. So I do that. And I still have the sketch to this day. And I showed him the sketch and he looked at the thing and he went, nah, and I asked him, I said, there is this corner that I needed to knock off. And he said, no, you can't do that. He said, this is your first stone, that's way too much stuff. And I went, no, no, I said, come on, just how do I do this? Make a long story short, I got really upset with that. I tried to figure out something else, never really did. And I do believe I'm the only person in the history of school <laughs> that ever flunked independent research. There is an nice. F. There, if, if you go through my, my, my uh, report card for that year, you will see independent research F. <laughs> and I have to admit, in a way, the guy wasn't wrong. I didn't do the damn thing. But, it, you know, um, we just couldn't come to any kind of understanding with it. He, one day he looked at me and he said, David, you could be a great sculptor. You just must be interested in other things. And it's like, okay, fine, whatever. So to get into what's going on outside of Irving, Texas, is you get, I believe it was around Easter, 
we were driving, there were uh, guys I went to school with who one lived in St. Louis, one lived in a, in a suburb of, of South Chicago. And so when we would drive back, I would go to St. Louis, we'd drop Bob off. And so we get to St. Louis and we're and later that night, my dad called and he said, he asked me, he said, are you coming up via the Dan Ryan? And I went, no, I said, I'd never go that way. He said, okay, good. And I said, well, but what's the big deal? Why? And he said, don't go that way because they are shooting across the highway. He said, the city of Chicago on Madison, for those of you who have ever watched the Chicago Bulls or the Chicago Blackhawks, that street that that stadium is on is Madison. And he said, it is on fire. Martin Luther King had been assassinated. And so that's, that's spring. In summer, um, School is over and a number of things are about to take place. It is April of 68. And there's a place where I used to buy my music. There was this thing many years ago called a called a, a, an eight-track tape. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what that is, Google it. <laughs> nice. Yes. You'll find out. Um, this was before this was before. This is before the cassette. Incredible and, piece of technology um, right there. <laughs> the owner, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the owners really liked me. And one day they came to me and they said, David, we have a suggestion for summer. He said, uh, how would you like to manage the store? And I went, wow, cool. Yeah, I'd like to do that. That'd, that'd be fun. So I went back to the dorm and I was talking to my roommate. Um, and... I need to back to that. Um, and we discussed, because he wasn't going back to Chicago. He was, he was going to stay in Dallas. One thing about, about the roommate, going back to 67, I forgot this. I was not liked by the students at all. Um, in fact, when we get into 68 and Ben had decided that, that he would room with me, they came to him and asked him, why would you want to do that? Um, he and I, he and I have been friends ever since. Um, and so we talked about, about staying there for the summer. And I thought this was, this was a really cool idea. I liked it. I want to say a few weeks, maybe a month later, I was thinking, ah, maybe I want to get the hell out of here and come back in August, which is what I decided to do. That decision would become probably the most monumental decision I've ever made in my life. Um, that's not hyperbole. So I come back and there was a bunch of stuff going on within my family and within, and with my two brothers and Steve's father, I didn't know that well. Um, Bob was much older than I. And in fact, one, one gentleman, the uh, father of, of a guy I went to school with, said to us when in Madison, said to us one night, he said, now look, guys, don't think of me as some old codger, blah, blah, blah. And I started laughing. He said, what's funny? And I said, I got a brother who's older than you are. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and um, 
So I didn't know what was going on. I was just hearing all this stuff. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go down to Daytona Beach and spend some time with Bob and see what's going on. So I do. Um, and so he, we're at the beach and he had to leave and he said, I'll come back and get you about five. And he said, now, David, be aware of, of drop-offs. He said, really good swimmers can get caught in these things and they're never found again. And um, so he leaves. I said, fine, okay. So I was out just sort of playing around in the surf, no big deal. I don't think it was higher than my ankles. And I have to admit, looking back at this, this is kind of funny, but you need to understand that I have a rather sick sense of humor. <laughs> um, I, all, of a sudden I found, all of a sudden, I found one, and I went down. And I went, holy good God. And I bounced back up. And as anybody who knows who's been to Daytona, you can't have, if you have a raft out there, it's got to be a professional raft kind of thing, something that a lifeguard would use. You can't use one of those dime store things. And there were two guys who had one, and they were to my left as I'm looking at the shore. And I bopped up, and I looked at them, and I yelled, and I said, can I have your life, your life raft? And they asked why. And I went back down. I came back up. I came back up, and I said, because I'm drowning. And luck, obviously, they got me the raft, and I got on shore. I always thought that was kind of funny because I, I used to envision – Bob comes back to pick me up and it's like, so, okay, where'd he go? Right. <laughs> nice. uh, why that becomes important is, again, these, these dominoes that just start falling. Um, that night I'm watching television and it was late at night and there's a news interruption, a news break. Robert Kennedy has been shot. And I went, holy good God, you gotta be kidding me. And then the next day we found out that he had died. So I come back to Chicago and I'm contacted by Bob in St. Louis and Tim um, who lived in Park Forest Illinois, and said, hey, let's go up and see Tom in Madison. And the reason for this was it, at the time, Madison, if you had a Wisconsin ID, they had what they called beer bars. So you could go to them and you could, all they served was beer, great burgers, and stuff and things like that no hard no hard liquor and it was like yeah okay so this was over the fourth of july so we left and we went up there and we're talking and all of a sudden tom says you know my family has a cottage up in phillips wisconsin he said why don't we go for over the, over the fourth and they all said said yes except me and i said what the hell do we want to do that for i said number one we can't cook I said, you know, your mom cooks, so why, you know, I mean, come on, we're three college guys. One, college guys love to eat. And it's, it's like, okay, um, guys, this doesn't make sense. We've got bars here, nice house. We're going up there, what, for? I really do hate democracy. Because <laughs> I, lo I lost this battle. It was I wonder if that's car, where you're going with that. You lost it, huh? <laughs> I, I, I definitely lost this boat, um, and so we left. We had to stop in a, in a town called Wisconsin Rapids. He needed to get the key from his grandparents, and he wanted to find out if his aunt and uncle were coming up. So we pull into the aunt and uncle's driveway. We're standing at the threshold, and 
Mr. and Mrs. Vidal come to the door and Tom introduces us. He says, this is Bob from St. Louis. This is Tim from Park Forest. And he said, the ugly guy in the back is David Maletto from Chicago. And at that moment, this absolutely stunning brunette comes walking down the stairs. She had on a white blouse and beige shorts, but who remembers? And, <laughs> Obviously you don't. You had no recollection of that. Yeah, no, I have, I, I have no memories of this at all. And we get into the car to leave because they were coming up. Tom got the, the key and they, they were coming up. And as soon as we got in the car, I looked at him and I said, why didn't you tell us you had a cousin that looked like her? And this idiot, who was an idiot, I mean, we didn't really like the guy. And that's being nice. It's like, he said, looks like what? And Bob and Tim said, looks like her. <laughs> so they come up. Um, we spent the, 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 the fifth and the sixth there. We left, I think, yeah, on the seventh. And she came to me and asked if, um, she could, if we could drop her off. So she came back with us. And, and I've never done anything like this since in my life. Um, this is called the stars are in alignment. Um, the night before we had, we were all sitting on a, on the pier. All I could think of was guys, could you do me a favor and get the hell out of here? I want to talk to her. <laughs> Little did I know at, at the time where she was actually the, the same thing. And so what I did is I gave the keys of the car to her cousin to drive because that got him out of my life. And I put Bob and Tim in the back seat and put, David, you can say her name, put Linda and me in the front. And the reason for this was I now controlled the door and how everybody moved because we had to stop in a town and pick up a buddy of Tom's who we had dropped off when we were going up and that way I could throw the three in the back and put the two of us in, in, in the, the, the right bucket. We get to her house. I get her suitcase. I walk her to the door and I, and I looked for the address of the house because I knew I was going to write her a letter, which I did on, on the next day. Uh, that letter led to, a rather long relationship. Um, when I go back to school, things are relatively quiet. Um, I did run into, um, as, as the year unwound, I did run into a problem with a printmaking teacher where uh, his wife told me that he became jealous of some prints that I did. And I, it was like, and, and, and he and I got along really well until that point. And it was like, wow, I, I was sort of amazed at that. And I couldn't, I couldn't see why. Um, but he get, you know, he just, he just got really upset. Um, What had become clear to me by the end of my sophomore year in school was that school for me was a waste of time. I, I went, that year, 
the, my sophomore year where I took all of those classes, the objective was to learn the tools and to try to get a feel for is, is, are any of these giving me any kind of direction? Um, probably the best class I ever had in, in my sophomore year was anatomy and, and human figure drawing. Um, we were taken to the, who was it, Southwest Medical School, I think, in Dallas, where we went into the dissection lab and we dissected um, a male. We worked on a male and a female body. Um, absolutely fascinating as hell. Um, two actually kind of funny occurrences that happened with this was before we got before we were leaving the room, the tanks were, most of the, all the tanks were closed except the ones that we were working on. And one of the, one of the girls in the class, couldn't believe she did this. Nobody could believe she did this. She, she looked at us, she said, I wonder what's in this. And she opened the door. She picked up one of the doors and she opened it up and it was like she was looking in a mirror because the body was that of a dead woman. When you're dead, it's difficult sometimes to place age. And you know, it's like you're within this, this, this many years kind of thing. And she let out a scream that I'm surprised it didn't wake those dead bodies up. <laughs> um, and then when we left, there was an ante room where we had our coats. And there was this, the coolest piece of sculpture that I had seen in a long time. It was of the arm. It was from the shoulder to the finger. And it was, you know, pr uh, sort of protected in, in, in with wax on the bone. And I sat there and I went, okay, so if I take it and I stick it in the sleeve of my coat, <laughs> can I walk out the door with this thing? Nice. I just tell somebody I was on a diet. Yeah, I just lost a lot. I've lost a lot of weight. Is this, um, is, I did is this not the point? Where, I'm glad to hear that because is this the point where we have to say, "Do not do this at home, please." This is not a. <laughs> this is a trained expert. Or no, I didn't. I didn't. No, I, I did. I did. I, <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I. I, I didn't take it. For all I know, it's still sitting there. Nice. Um, <laughs> and um, it was funny though when we got back to school. It was lunchtime. And we, I walked into the cafeteria, and um, I was, I, I was, I was really hungry, and I was watching somebody was eating roast beef or something. And they, and they asked, they said, "So, David, how was the class?" I said, "Well, actually, the pectoralis I was carving on looked a lot like what you're about to put in your mouth." <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me, he said, "You want it? Because I don't feel like eating." <laughs> eating. Um, that was though. That was that was an absolutely superb class, but. Um, school, it was just becoming clearer and clearer for me that this was not an environment for me. Um, in, in 69, um, in the, in, in the summer, I went to the, I left Dallas, I thought actually for good, um, and went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I couldn't get in because my grades weren't any good. Um, and so I returned to, to Dallas for one last semester. And it was at this time when that year was ending was when the English 
TA came to our room. It, this was funny. He, had, he came to the room and he looked at me and he said, um, we just wanted to tell you that you should never use the English language. You destroy it. <laughs> and I went, wow, really? I went, a little bit of okay. <laughs> thanks a lot. Um, yeah. Um, one of the things that in, in regards to traveling around the United States at the time that I encountered and, and a, a footnote of import, this is my story and nobody else's. You can talk to people from that era and they're going to tell you things that I never experienced. Um, you know, the past is what it was. And, but <clears throat> one of the things that I've always had difficulty with is I, without even knowing how I do it, rub people the wrong way. It is not difficult for people to get mad at me. And um, I think it was in the summer of 69, Ben and I, I were going to Jackson, Mississippi, to meet up with guys we went to school with because we were going to go to Pensacola, Florida. No, we went to Panama City, right? The Pensacola, one of those, whichever one it was. Um, and so when we came back, and we're back in the we're back in Jackson, um, we went to get a hotel room because we weren't going to go back to Dallas for another day or so. We couldn't, could not get a couldn't get a room. They looked at us and said, sorry, we're all full up. And I, we looked at each other and went, okay, what is it about? What I, I, there's something here that isn't, it's like, okay. And finally it was Ben said, David, look at the way we look. And I went, oh, Ben, I said, all right, but our hair isn't that long. And it didn't matter. We just, we couldn't get a room. Um, in later in, in, in 69 in the fall, uh, we, it, in fact, it was, it was, it was October, it was Halloween. We were going to St. Louis for grins and a number of us were, were going there. I, some concert was being played. I don't remember the band. And so we decided to go up for a weekend and this one guy, um, his girlfriend who used to go to school with us was living with her parents in Little Rock, Arkansas. And it was funny. John came to me and for like weeks pleaded, begged, please, can you, can you take us? Can I go with you? And I went, yeah, what's it worth to you? You know, I wash your car every day. <laughs> hey, I'll do this. I'll do that. And I said, finally, I gave in. I said, sure. Yeah, fine. I just, I just liked watching him suffer. <laughs> um, and so we get, we get the little rock and Meet, meet Mary Joan, and her, I mean, we knew Mary Joan, we met her mom and her dad, seemed like very nice people. <clears throat> and we did what 19, 20 year old guys do when we're in a parent's house, what do you got to eat? And then we left, we went to St. Louis. We get to St. Louis and we get one of those phone calls. And this time it was to tell us, um, John called and he said, oh, he talked to Bob and he said, okay, when you guys come back and get me, tell David he can't come back in the house. In fact, it would probably be a good idea if he parked like a couple of blocks away so his future father-in-law couldn't even see the car. I went, wow. Um, 
Linda, the lady from Wisconsin, flew in that weekend. In fact, I gave her an engagement ring. Um, and so I, we go back, we pick John up, we go back to school. Uh, in December, I, I left Dallas for the last time, yeah, school-wise. Uh, when I came up here, I didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, in retrospect, I wish I had figured out something other than to go to, go to school. But um, one of the things that I had talked about to Linda um, earlier in the year was in, in, in 69, in the beginning of 69, there was the lottery. And this wasn't to win $10 million. This was to win an M16 and what might be a one-way ticket to Southeast Asia. Depends how lucky or unlucky you were. And it was, that was held in January. And if I remember correctly, I could be wrong on this. For some reason, I keep remembering that that one TV station ran January 1st to December 31st with the numbers next to it and they played taps. Could be wrong on that, but for some reason that image sticks out. Um, and one of the things that I did with Linda uh, was we were going to get married after I graduated. And I sat down one afternoon and talked to her about my concerns. And I said, you know, I don't want you to become a 20-year-old widow. And I said, maybe, you know, and I, I know people do and, you know, they get married and, you know, that you just take what comes. I get that. I said, but, you know, should we possibly wait to just see what happens with my draft situation? In April, May of 69, I got a blessing. We were playing flag football and I blew out my left knee. And we went to the doctor in Dallas that, that worked with the school and he said, okay, when you go back to Chicago, go see your doctor, he said, cause that needs to be operated on. So when I came back, the operation was, took place. They took the, the cartilage, the lateral cartilage out to the left side of my knee. And I had to contact my draft board. Uh, if anything happened to you, you had to let them know. Um, and so I did what I had to do. And then the doc, I don't know what the doctor wrote, but God bless them. I definitely owe that man dinner, um, if not more. Um, because I was about to lose my student deferment. So I was about to go from 2S to, to 1A. Um, my number, speaking of the lottery, how do I, can't forget this. My number was 88. Dad, you think you could have kept your hands off of her for a night? <laughs> um, a lot of guys said that that day when, when the lottery took place. Um, and so everything was filed. In the day of the lottery, how can I forget this story? Um, you may all want to have an adult beverage after I tell you this, because what I'm about to tell you is true. Um, so the night of, of, of the lottery, this one guy was taking his girlfriend home. 
there was rainy day, rainy evening, and he got into a car accident. And a car spun off. They take her, he gets up and walks away. They, they take her to the hospital and she died up upon arrival. He gets back to the dorm probably about six, seven in the morning. Uh, from, this, from what we were told, he turned on the radio and they were going over the numbers. This was a really big deal. What number did you get? He was number four, which meant not only did they have his M16 waiting for him, it was loaded and ready to go. Hmm. Oh. About, about a week or two later, we found his body across the street. He had killed himself. Um, it was a really intense time period. Um, I've not seen anything like it. When you take 68, 69, I, and, and you, could, you could feel the change. I mean, they talk about the 60s ending with Woodstock. I have a Woodstock story for you. Um, I could have gone and didn't, and I'm really glad I didn't. It was uh, uh, Linda's cousin, Michael, Lynn and I were sitting, Linda had graduated from high school. She had moved with her girlfriend down to Madison um, and we're sitting on the front porch of the house where they lived. And Michael pulled in front and said, David, come here. And I went, yeah, what do you want? He said, there's this music festival going on in New York. Come on, let's go. <laughs> and I went, no. I said, I'm going, I'm going back to Dallas next week. I'm not going. He said, nah. And he starts listening, uh, he starts naming bands that are going to be there. I said, I don't care. He said, you go, I'm staying here. Um, I said, you see that face? You see her sitting there? After next week, I don't get to see her for a few months. Goodbye. So he, <laughs> he went, I did not. They talk about the 60s ending around then. They're, they're pretty much right, because you could feel the atmospheric change. Um, after Altamont in, in San Francisco, with the Rolling, infamous Rolling Stone concert where that one guy is killed. Um, when you get into the 70s, things start becoming really angry and really violent. Um, the, the, the protests got angrier and, um, as, as they went on. The, the so-called peace loves thing was definitely out the door. Um, it's interesting in regard, a comment on music, it, it's interesting that if you listen to the Beatles, take every album they ever made, listen to every song they ever, they ever wrote, you won't find anything negative. You won't find women slandered. You, you just, there's, it's not there. Everything they wrote upon, wrote, is positive which is fascinating when you look at what the street was like at the time. Um, and I mean, and it's, and it's one of the amazing things I think musically that was going on when, if you listen to the Beatles, they don't sound like any other band. They don't sound like cream. They don't sound like Led Zeppelin. They don't sound like, they don't sound like anybody else but themselves. They have their own unique sound. And I think it's because it came out of their writing. When you get into the 70s into 1970, 1971, things are going to get, as I said, angrier. Um, you get the shooting at Kent State. You get huge moratoriums that took place. There was one 
um, where, like I said earlier, the classroom in from like 68, 69, 70, isn't that big a deal. There was, because of what was going on outside of it. There was, there was a moratorium, I think in 69, and I know there was one in 70, where schools throughout the United States went and marched against the war. Um, and it's what happens when you've got skin in the game. And that's, that, that's really a powerful thing of when I've got audio tapes that I sent to Linda where I talked to her about how much, how much I missed her. And I said, but you know, it could be worse. It could be in Vietnam. To know that you're 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, and there is the, a strong possibility that you may never see 21 or 22 and you know that. Life takes on a whole different perspective than when that's not there. And I'm gonna say something that that's probably may rattle a lot of people, but, and I know I've heard generals and I understand their argument of why they think it's a good thing there isn't a draft. I went through it, I would have gone if I was called, I wasn't about to go to Canada. Um, even though I know people that did. Um, uh, there is, there's something about, to, again, to use that phrase about having skin in the game of where you've got to back up what comes out of your mouth. And there was a friend, Bob was married, had a child, could not get a job. This was 1970, 71. Couldn't get a job because when he would go in for an interview, the first question he was asked was, what's your draft status? What's your lottery number? And he was 104. And at the time, there was a call up for everybody from number one to 150. There was a really good chance you were going to be called. And here he was with a wife and... Julie was what, maybe one, two years old at the time, and this guy couldn't couldn't get work. It wasn't that he didn't want it; he couldn't find an employer because I looked at him and said, "We don't want to bring you in, teach you all this stuff, then to just lose you to the military, and we have no idea if you're coming back or what shape you're going to be in when you come back." So in 70, with Dallas behind me, it was, David, what are we doing? I went and talked to the head of the printmaking department at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Mr. Martin was an absolutely great guy. Um, and when it comes to, to me saying that about a teacher, you got to know there was something special about this man. And I brought him the work I had done in Dallas. And he looked at me and he said, wow. He said, I've just never seen anybody do this much work. Um, he said, yeah, go ahead, apply. So I did. And as the norm for me, um, the School of the Art Institute said no. And the way that I was told this went down was the committee met they looked over everything. You don't want to look at my grades because they stink. Um, 
And from what I was told, Mr. Martin walked into the committee meeting, looked at them and he said, I want them. And he walked out the door. That's how I got in the schoolyard institute. Um, it was interesting. My first semester there, um, the only thing I really learned there was how to do a lithograph. Uh, the printing that I was doing, I was using the same technique that I was that I used in Dallas. And because of that, in my first semester, I think yeah, right, first semester, I was given an incomplete as a grade. And I went to Andy and I went, huh? And he didn't really say much. And so I went to Mr. Martin. I said, I, I don't get this. And I, and I showed Mr. Martin the work I, I was doing. And I went, how is this an incomplete? I'm, I mean, I've got all, this, all these prints that I've done. And what I found out was is that Andy was mad at me because I never went to him and asked for help. That's what Mr. Martin told me. He said, he said he, you never came to him and, and asked him. And I said, well, it's because I didn't need any. I said, I know what I'm doing. I, I know the, how to do the technique. I know how to work the press. I said, I don't need to bother the man. He's got other students to deal with. You would think he'd appreciate one person not bugging him. And he said, okay, David, I'll, I'll take care of it. And he eventually did. Um, at the time, I was also going from the School of the Art Institute to Northern Illinois University out in DeKalb which is, so I, I wasn't doing it every day, but it was what, probably, how far is that time-wise? Well over an hour drive. Um, and the reason for that was we had to take electives. We had to take other courses besides just art stuff, um, ironically, considering what happened in Dallas. And I knew some teachers, some people who taught um, psychology courses. Um, they were doctors at, at Northern Illinois. And I talked to one of them one day. He said, David, just take my class. I went, oh, okay. So I did. And then I needed another one. And so I took, I took that. I, I took his too. His, the second one that I took was a, grad, a graduate course. And it was on educational psychology. And it is the only A I, have, I think I've ever gotten in, in college. And it couldn't get transferred. It couldn't get transferred over to the Art Institute. Um, the reason being is is Northern Illinois said we we can't we can't transfer the grad the graduate because it's a grad course. And I said, but the guy who taught the class, who's the head of the damn department, says it's okay. And they still wouldn't do it. They said we have to transfer it as an undergrad. And I went, okay, whatever, fine. 70 was basically me going to school, doing, doing stuff at the Art Institute, running out to NIU in the weekends, going up to Madison to see Linda, or she would come down to see me. I guess before I go any further, I need to, to add a little bit because I know what's coming. I've never really known how to describe our relationship. Um, we were incredibly close to the point of an example. One afternoon we were at her parents' house and we were both kind of bush. So she went upstairs to her room and laid down and I laid down on the couch. And sometime later I was awoken and she looked at me and she started telling me this dream that she was having, that she, she was having. 
And as she was telling me the dream, I took my hand and I put it over her mouth. And I, on the downbeat, finished the dream. We had that kind of connection. We had talked about where to get married. She had the date picked out. We debated which church. Um, and we talked about it with my dad um, one afternoon. We were, we were here and we were all sitting around. And Linda wanted to get married in her hometown. And I went, ah, I said, but the church in Madison's a lot nicer. She went, I don't know. I went, so she said, Mr. Mulatto. Dad looked at me and he said, wherever you want, we will be there. And she said, see? And I went, okay, fine. No problem. You're, it's your day. It's not mine. It's your day. Not a problem. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue. <laughs> Besides, it's just a church. Will they even let me in? Um, so <clears throat> 70, 71 for me is basically just doing my work and, and figuring out what, where I go from there. When I was at the Art Institute, I had been told by, um, I forget, some teacher that they were going, oh, it was the right, maybe it was the registrar, that they were going to change how many hours you had to have in art history. Originally it was 15, they were going to change it to 12. From what she had heard, I had 12 hours. And so it's the end of what would have been my senior year. And they came to me and said, David, you're three hours short, we can't graduate you. And I went, Oh, but I was told, ah, sorry, that didn't happen. You need those three hours in art history. I had enough studio hours for, for an MFA, let alone a BFA. So I went to see Roger Gilmore, who was the dean of the school at the time. Nice guy. And we sat down and talked. And... He looked at me, he said, David, he said, I'm sorry. He said, you know, it's the rules. It's the way, it's the way it's structured. And I went, okay, Roger, can we do this? I've got a bazillion hours in studio. Just take three of them and throw them over into the other column and we're done. And he said, nope, can't do that. He said, now, if you had extra hours in studio, in, in, in art history, we could transfer that to studio. And I looked at him and I started laughing. And I went, Roger, that doesn't make any friggin' sense. I didn't say friggin'. <laughs> and he said, and I said, listen, here, 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 this is your logic. You're telling me that if I walk into a painting studio, prepare a canvas for a painting, and do it to learn how to paint as an impressionistic painter did, that knowledge isn't transferable into the art history. But if I sit in an art history class and listen to some teacher sit there and talk to me about what Monet did, that can be transferred into studio? It doesn't make any sense. I've actually done the painting and that doesn't count? But somebody who just sits there and reads a paragraph or two about, well, this is, this is what Impressionism is about, somehow trans that, that tells me that I could then walk into a studio and do the painting? 
you got to be kidding me. And what was funny was there was the, the head of the painting department or a painting teacher was sitting outside waiting to meet Roger. Waiting, waiting to talk to Roger, and you were—I heard it. We heard him say, "Roger, I think he's got you." <laughs> um, and Rogers looked at me and he said, "David, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do." And went, "Well, this is stupid." And he said, "The choice is yours. You're going to have to get three hours in history or no degree." I came walking out of the room, and the the guy was sitting there. He said, "David, screw him." And I went, yeah. My father looked at me and he said, that's easy for him to say because he knows when he's get, where he's getting his next steak from. He said, you may need that piece of paper. Um, so what I ended up doing was I knew someone who was, who was going to school there and was taking um, a history of filmmaking class. I said, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I signed up for the history of filmmaking class. I went to the first one and the last. That's it. And I told him, I said, now do me a favor. Just let me know if we need to write papers on anything, what it is, and I'll fake it. And that's what I did. And that's how I got the three hours. Um, when it came time to graduate, it was, it was funny. I walked on stage and Roger went to give me, give me the degree. And he looked at me and he just laughed like hell. Oh. It was, it was, yeah, it's like the absurdity of schools. Yeah, I know. Um, it is <clears throat> time for me for my story to dramatically change. All right. So we're going to pick up where we just left off in the next episode. But before we do that, before we close off, I guess I should say, what I want to do is I want to go back to talking about the, the, the work that David's doing right now. And uh, we've got, uh, you know, he's looking for some help to kind of make it come alive. And so, you know, David, one of the things we've talked about before is that you're looking for someone who might have an understanding of how to use the, uh, um, some different programs or software that might help um, make your vision come to life. It, what is it you'd like to, to kind of share with him again this time? And, and everybody remember that in the show notes, I'll have it and I'll have David uh, give us his, uh, his email address so that then you'll be able to get in touch with him if this happens to be a skill that you have. So uh, let's, let's go from there. How about that? Yeah. If, if it's a school, the thing that I have wondered is do they do internships um, that, that, yeah, in in three in in three D software, the the software that is needed from um, my research is Studio Max or Maya things like that. Um, if I had the time, you know, you could sit there and say, "Go learn how to do this stuff," but I don't have that time. Um, so yeah, I mean that's really it. If if somebody is is well versed and and has and has that time, is a good model builder. Um, there are pieces here that that need to be built um, and brought into the three D world. Um, if that could get done, there is. I could be taught how to take the three elements of my work, the point of origin, the object, and the shot. And all of this will become, will be made very clear shortly, um, I hope. Um, and, and weave those together. If I can be taught how to do that, 
then then I just need somebody to teach me how to do that. I can get the software and I've got I, I can work an easy 15 hours a day on it to get it down. But so those are those are the thoughts of if it's a school, do they do they have internship stuff? Um, or if it's a per, you know an individual, you know, do you have the the, the modeling skills? Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, what, what we'll uh, do next time is we're going to finish out uh, our discussion about what happens um, in David's life as, as he moves forward, as well as then uh, um, hopefully, you know, if you got some skills in those, uh, those software programs or uh, if, you, uh, if you might have a thought about being able to help or you have interns that you're in charge of that might uh, be interested in trying to help him make this uh, sculpture, this, uh, this piece of work come to life, um, you know, Let's, let's have you reach out to David. I'll have his uh, email in the show notes. And uh, David, you want to give us that email real quick? Oh, yeah. DGMiletto at Gmail. So it's D-G-M-I-L-E-T-T-O. So DGMiletto at gmail.com. And uh, with that being said, appreciate you joining us today. And uh, David, thank you very much. And looking forward to uh, hearing what happens. Good to talk to you, Steve. Thanks. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.